Hey, it's Gabe. I want to recommend a podcast I think you'll enjoy called What Could Go Right. On What Could Go Right, the hosts, Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva-Lucas, sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues. They look back at how far society has come and look forward to what it will take to achieve a brighter future. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, listen to What Could Go Right wherever you get your podcasts. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that takes a bite out of history, one day at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today, we're looking at the time when Ronald McDonald set up shop in Soviet Russia. The day was January 31st, 1990. The first McDonald's in Russia opened for business in Moscow's Pushkin Square. It hadn't been easy to open a fast food restaurant in the heart of the Soviet Union, but after 14 years of negotiations, McDonald's finally got permission to do just that. It probably helped that the project had been spearheaded not by the American McDonald's Corporation, but by its subsidiary to the north, McDonald's of Canada. The then-chairman, George Cohen, had aggressively pursued the expansion ever since his first meeting with Soviet representatives at the 1976 Montreal Olympics. Cold War politics had made the deal a tough sell for most of the 1980s, but eventually, Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev came around to the idea. The Golden Arches aligned well with his plan to rescue the country's failed economy through Western-style market reforms. Those efforts would be largely unsuccessful, but the Moscow McDonald's was anything but. From the outside, the restaurant didn't look much different from many other McDonald's built in the 1980s or early 90s. The major exception was the sign, which included a Soviet flag beneath the familiar golden arches. Inside, the spacious dining room was decorated with an international theme, complete with a model of London's Big Ben. The location had been designed with large crowds in mind. In fact, it was the biggest McDonald's in the world at the time, with enough seating for 700 guests inside and another 200 outdoors. However, the Russian public's interest in fast food turned out to be greater than expected. Customers began lining up outside the restaurant as early as 4 a.m., 
six hours before its scheduled opening. The weather was freezing, but the queue just kept on growing. By 10 a.m., more than 5,000 people had crowded the square, forming a line that stretched the length of five American football fields. The Moscow McDonald's was big, but it wasn't nearly big enough. The restaurant ended up staying open for hours later than planned. By the time the exhausted staff finally closed the doors for the night, they had served more than 30,000 customers, a world record at the time. It had been a truly harrowing day for the new employees, who had all undergone a full month of training and preparation. Despite the stressful opening, though, they felt lucky to be there. More than 27,000 people had applied for a coveted job at the country's first fast-food restaurant. The company ultimately hired just over 600 employees, most of whom were young and had never had a job before. McDonald's purposely chose less experienced applicants because it thought they would have an easier time adhering to the company's Western-style service policies. At the time, Soviet cafes had a reputation for dour, unfriendly service, but McDonald's expected employees to greet every customer with a smile. Russians weren't used to smiling much in public, but it was a requirement of the job, according to Anna Patronina, one of the original cashiers. She later described the learning curve employees faced, saying, quote, We were asked, can you smile for eight hours straight? We all said, yes, of course. But it turns out, it's harder than you think. Excessive smiling was a foreign concept that took some getting used to. But on the whole, the Russian people were surprisingly receptive to McDonald's and its Western ways. After nearly a century of socialism, it must have been surreal to have such a famous symbol of capitalism suddenly appear in your own backyard. For those hoping for change in their country, though, it was a welcome glimpse at another way of living. On opening day, a retired Soviet army veteran said as much himself. When asked why he'd brave the crowd, he replied, quote, We were interested in another life and what it looked like. A Soviet journalist on hand for the event also noted the juxtaposition of having a McDonald's in Moscow. He called the restaurant, quote, the expression of America's rationalism and pragmatism toward food, and then went on to say that, quote, its contrast with our own unrealized pretensions is both sad and challenging. The contrast he was alluding to was that the new McDonald's had a seemingly endless supply of food, while the average Soviet store struggled to stock even the most basic necessities. The company's secret was that it could afford to import 80% of its ingredients and privately manufacture the rest. But to much of the public, McDonald's bounty seemed almost magical, which only served to highlight how grim conditions were for everyone else. McDonald's even seemed to play into that perspective itself. The ad campaign for the restaurant's opening used the slogan, if you can't go to America, come to McDonald's in Moscow. That said, most Russian customers didn't eat at McDonald's to make a political statement. They went for the experience and for the chance to indulge in a small pleasure during a tumultuous time in their nation's history. That appeal was so great that the restaurant quickly became one of the most popular spots in the city. Moscow sightseeing tours added it to their routes, and countless couples went there on first dates. Dining at McDonald's was no small investment either. In 1990, a Big Mac cost three and a half rubles, which was about half a day's wages for the average Russian. 
Some customers made sure they got the most for their money by taking home the disposable packaging from their meals and hanging it on their walls as souvenirs. In that way, and in so many others, the arrival of McDonald's in Moscow was a sign of shifting attitudes among the Soviet public. As one young customer put it on opening day, quote, People say the West is bad, but the food is good. That growing open-mindedness led to bigger changes as well. Less than two years after McDonald's entered the Russian market, the Soviet Union collapsed, and Mikhail Gorbachev stepped down as the country's leader. The Soviet republics all declared their independence soon after, and began the arduous task of rebuilding their respective economies and infrastructure. Amidst all the excitement and uncertainty, the Moscow McDonald's remained a must-see attraction. Although its food was relatively expensive, the restaurant continued to boast hour-long lines for the first several years of its operation. That success eventually led to the opening of more and more McDonald's in Russia. By March of 2022, the company had 847 locations there, with about 62,000 employees to run them. As you likely heard, though, three decades of steady expansion came to a close that same month, due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Out of solidarity with Ukrainians, and in light of pressure from critics, McDonald's chose to pause its Russian operations for the foreseeable future. When the announcement was made, many Russians raced to their local McDonald's for one last meal, flooding the queues just as they had done 32 years earlier. The arrival of McDonald's had heralded the opening of a country to the West. As for what its departure signifies, well, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully, you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you want to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. You can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can send your feedback directly by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks as always to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. 
this time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.